This episode of the Future Film Podcast is brought to you by SV Assets. There is nothing we like talking about more here than mobile filmmaking, be it the newest tech, apps, or even the psychology behind it. We're all about inspiring filmmakers to go out there and tell their stories. SV Assets are all about inspiring filmmakers too. How are they doing this? By revolutionizing smartphone, videography, and photography. They offer high-end optics and accessories for phones, giving customers the chance to improve and enhance their creations. It's all about upping your game of confidence. So to help us out, the guys at SV Assets have given us an amazing discount for our listeners. If you head over to www.catcherthemoment.se and use the promo code DUBLIN25 on checkout, you're going to get a cool 25% off all their products. But hurry, this discount code is only valid up until July 1st, so get in there quick, guys. In this week's pod, we chat to filmmaker, editor, and colorist Richard Lackey all about color grading. Coming up next on the Future Film Podcast. Hi, Richard. Uh, thanks very much for coming to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I just uh, we've been messaging and emailing over the last couple of days. I was lucky enough to catch your. Uh, talk at the um online what was it called mojo it was a mojo fest but it was the online thing. yeah it was the creators summit yeah the creator summit so i i i i I've, I've seen you talk in person at mojo fest and i caught you at the creator um uh, summit and the reason i wanted to talk to you was it was just a little bit around uh color grading because i know that you are um that is uh, where your passion lies um and i suppose I've, before I get yapping away now, I suppose I'll give you a little bit of insight into into why uh, I, I, I have these questions. Um, so for me, it, it drove from two different things. One was I had a conversation with somebody the other day on the phone and they were used to using uh, cameras, um, traditional cinema cameras, and they were putting together a project uh, that they wanted the actors to shoot remotely during quarantine. And they asked me a question uh, just as I was towards the end, they said, oh, is there anything we need to know about editing? And uh, and I said, well, I didn't, you know, I, I kind of said, no, not really, you're grand. And then, I, and then they hung up the call and I thought to myself, well, well, what if they're used to coloring on their camera? What if there's something I should have said there they didn't know? That was one of the things. And the second thing was, um, I see a lot of comments online about people talking about color grading uh, their footage uh, shot on phones. And there seems to be this idea that they equate that uh, if they put LUTs and color over their video at the end of it, that's what makes it quote unquote cinematic. Um, and that was one of the things I was kind of hoping to talk to you about, a little bit about the process, a little bit about how it's done and maybe about the correct steps to getting it done um, to kind of maximize it as opposed to where, where I think people are falling short, which is just kind of, I've added my LUT and my film is cinematic now and away I go. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know if that's something you've seen um, uh, or, or you've heard people talk about. It's just something I've noticed on chat boards and things like that a lot. So I kind of wanted to get into it. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. Um, first and foremost, your kind of background in relation to color is in terms of coloring. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm self-taught to a certain extent, um, but started years and years and years ago. Um, my background for, I don't know, probably almost two decades now, I guess, is in post-production, uh, mostly. Um, started out as an editor um, way back uh, in the, 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 the old days. I was cutting really? kind of two, 
kids' TV shows, weekly TV shows, uh, doing the offline edit on an ancient Avid um, that took up kind of a whole room almost um, with patch bays and, and decks and, and things like that. Um, and kind of progressed into online work. And I got more and more interested in finishing. Um, I got more interested in, in color and in finishing the image more than the editorial itself. Um, so yeah, I kind of, from there, I ended up kind of looking after, um, post-production. So I, I kind of wasn't so hands-on anymore, but I was more looking after team and I was, um, kind of project managing long form, uh, post at a couple of post facilities, um, for a while. Um, and started to get more into color just by myself. Um, yeah, then, what's, what's the yeah. to finishing that aspect of it? Is there kind of a, like, is there something that you really enjoy about? Well, I think what, what, yeah, I mean, where I was working back at the time was, uh, a couple of, um, post facilities that were doing a lot of, um, film, uh, front end work. So there was a lot of work coming in that had been shot 35 millimeter and some 16 millimeter as well. Um, and the lab was downstairs and all the telecine and scanning suites were just, you know, right around the corner from my office. And I, I knew all the guys and I was shooting some film at the time as well. Um, and then from the video side, um, things just, you know, things look a bit different. Um, it's a different look. Um, you know, it didn't, and I think what piqued my interest was, uh, what was involved in bridging, uh, kind of that, that gap, I suppose, what, what were the differences, you know, and, and starting to ask, uh, questions of kind of the fundamentals of, of what is an image, you know, what is a moving image, um, regardless of what it's been shot on or captured on like what's what go what's what's in between the the capture of that image and the final image that you yeah. see on a on a screen or on a on a big screen at a cinema or or on your phone even i mean there were phones back then um but ever since then it's been that in between that gap between capture and and end display the end result um that has fascinated me yeah, because I, I, I mean, admittedly, when, when I studied film and when I started shooting film, it, it, you know, I, I, it was never something I thought about. I mean, and it was actually only, it's only when I started to play around with, um, not even editing, it was only when I started to actually play around with color and stuff like that, that I really started to think about uh, that transition of what happens between when you press record and when you screen it and before it was not something I would have put much thought into because to be honest with you it, it wasn't the, the part of the process that excited me the most but I find I, maybe it's because I've been stuck in quarantine I haven't been filming a whole lot um, and I found myself tinkering with systems that I found myself starting to kind of want to know a little bit more about that which is one of the reasons I kind of wanted to talk to you as well because um, I was just curious about it because I didn't, you would have even explained stuff to me in email that, that, that I was sort of half aware of, but was never really concerned with. Um, but learning that kind of, um, that, that what happens between, uh, how, how, how I put it, what you, what your camera sees and records versus what you get at the end is <laughs> yeah. not necessarily the same thing. And it's just no. not something I would have, I would have put much thought into, uh, again, because generally the stuff, the type of stuff that I do seems to be, uh, 
nowadays is very quick and, and, and fast. That's not something I need to concern myself with. But as I kind of focus on larger projects, it's something I'm, 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 I'm more and more enticed by. And in, in terms of coloring, then, it's just something you drifted towards in your kind of free time. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it was always related to work and, and, um, and I, I've, I've, I've done it kind of for work as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I've kind of, it's been a passion of mine that I've pursued kind of outside. Um, and also more into just the, some of the science and math, um, fascinates me of color, of how we represent color digitally um, how that relates to, you know, how cameras work and, and the whole kind of digital processing pipeline. Um, and that's especially lately, you know, uh, one of the biggest reasons I started getting into shooting with phones is what's happening on the computational side. Um, and all of the really sophisticated image processing that's going into our phones is something that you don't find at all on the, the, the big cinema cameras. Um, that kind of professionally I'm, I'm more uh, used to dealing with before. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's color, it's finishing, and it's, it's, it's approaching an image as data, as, as information more than, uh, I don't know, what most people probably think of as, as the image they see on, on their screen. Yeah, it's because uh, yeah. I because the the I mean that's what somebody had once described to me before. They said coloring was like a dark art all on itself. Did you think it took? Do you find it took you? I, I'm assuming you have to develop an eye, even if you're dealing with data. Do you think it took you a while to kind of figure that out, or 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 by approaching it from a data perspective, were you able to kind of get a handle on it? I think it was more. It was more a a, a chain of like eureka moments. Yeah. <laughs> that were almost accidental of kind of things, concepts dropping into place that suddenly started to, to make sense. Um, and it was more, I think, I think one of the big things was, and I'll, I'll talk about this a bit more, more I think, because it's foundational, um, is the separation between uh, the technical and the creative. Um, there's, there's a difference between, for instance, what we call color correction. Um, which is very much more technical and and what people refer to in in terms of color grading, which is a bit more creative um, and they bridge of course, but one 's dependent on the other and and kind of the technical has to be done first if if the the, the technical is your foundation and if it 's not there um, you know and you 're just putting a creative look on your footage um, it's still going to look uneven. There's, there's still going to be no cohesiveness. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's all kinds of aspects that go into it. So, um, yeah, and that's kind of one of the things that I, I, that, that kind of touches a little bit on, on that sort of idea of what I see online from people, which I feel is sort of like they shoot their film and then they skip over the correction part and they, they go in and they, they find a LUT that they like that or downloaded or, or, or in the case of, say, with Luma where it's built in, they put that LUT over it um, and they go, now my film is coloured uh, and away I go. And you end up with this very, um, not odd looking, but sometimes they seem to have a, 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 a specific, how do I put it? It's like a specific colour dumped over the entire thing, like a green yeah. or something like that. We'll use it. And it carries over every single scene. And, and that colour is consistent, but it doesn't really make sense with what is underneath it. There's no... It just doesn't look 
Correct. There's no kind of depth or, or, or vividness to the actual yeah. image. It's just a color that's covered over everything. And um, I got the impression that some people uh, skip that or maybe don't value that correction stage, um, possibly because it's quite the, the complex part of it, and um, put a color over it and away you go. Do you find that that's kind of like in terms of the, the correction side of it? Is that the... Yeah, I think I think it's two things. I think um, it's it's can be very time consuming. So I think sometimes uh, there's not the time, you know, to do much more. Um, and the bigger thing is, I think people just don't know. People aren't aware. No. Um, you know, unless you've got some background in in post production, and especially kind of more high end post. Um, even some of the basic terminology you, you won't have ever come across before. So let alone some of the fundamental concepts. Um, and also the tools that are required at the moment um, are still very much in the, in the professional post uh, yeah. kind of world. There's not really any accessible uh, kind of tool sets yet. So if you want to really get into it, then you're still dealing with either a professional um, NLE, desktop NLE, or uh, you know something like like I use, like DaVinci Resolve, um, which has a very specific color tool set. Um, but it's still, it can be like somebody who's never looked at editing photos, opening Adobe Photoshop for the yeah. first time and going, oh my God, what do I do with this? So I get it. Like I know, I know, you know, A, some people just don't know, they're not aware, and B, it can be, um, you know, a bit overwhelming and a bit scary. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a, like, obviously with a, with a, with a I think there's, with a dry, I think there's, an, like, people edit a lot of their own stuff now um, because they have access to tools and because you can do it on your phone and stuff like that there. I think it's really important to be able to, to know how to edit because then you learn what you've done wrong when you shoot. Um, but I, I, I think there's an, a speed and the immediacy to certain things that people kind of expect. And, and like you uh -huh. said there, when you open Photoshop and you want to edit a photo and some people open and go, I don't even want to know, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll find a faster way to do it. I'll, I'll just do it on, you know, some, something app on my phone. I can do it in a way I go. Um, and, and so I, I find that some people maybe just, they want the, not the faster route, but, but, but something more accessible. Um, and you're kind of getting used to it. I think with certain elements of, of filmmaking now, because people are teaching themselves a lot of stuff as well, I, I sometimes think people are, are, are just not necessarily looking for a shortcut, but they're, they're, there's an expectation that they should be able to do it faster and easier and quicker. And I think that there is a, um, I think you can't do that with, if, if, you're, if what you're doing doesn't require you to spend a lot of time on it, then, then don't spend a lot of time on it. But um, yeah. I think that when you get, I think when you get into it, like, and, and, and it's, and I'm not into it at all. I just see other people do it. And, and I, I do use DaVinci and I do a tiny bit of it myself, but much like everyone else in the world, I opened DaVinci and I said, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, and, but what I like about DaVinci say over, even from an editing perspective, what I like about DaVinci is that it's it, all the workflow and everything is, is, is step-by-step step all the way through to the end. I don't have to move to other systems. I don't have to do anything. Everything's there. But the, even the grading that I would do and that would be, and the corrections I would do would be minuscule compared to what obviously uh, other people would do or the expectation is. But um, no, I just, I just it, like people are kind of drawn towards like LUTs is a big thing that people are, uh, are, are, especially when you're editing on your phone, they'll say, oh, I download a deadly LUT and I'll dump the LUT on top of the video. But what you were saying before is that unless you do that element of correction in advance, 
you're not going to get the desired result from your, from your LUT. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with using a LUT, um, you know, creatively uh, when you get to wanting to add kind of a look to your, your um, whatever it is that you're making. Um, but I kind of, I think in one of the emails that I wrote to you, um, I, uh, one of the ways I kind of explain it to people is like, if you, if you've got a, a wall in your house or your apartment or whatever, and it's kind of patchy, it has slightly different shades and different colors. It's kind of a bit, you know, maybe it's a bit old, um, and it has bits of old paint and whatever. And, and if, if you're, you were to take like a thin wash of, of paint, uh, of some color and, and just roll that kind of wash of color over that wall. Um, you're still going to see the uneven patchiness that's underneath it. You're going to see that come through. Um, you know, and, and a lot is a bit like that kind of wash, that thin wash of, of paint. Um, and so if you're underlying um, video clips that are in your edit, um, have some uneven uh, white balance, um, uneven exposure, uneven levels. Um, that's going to show through that LUT that you put on it, um, because all a LUT is is a is is a it's a dumb transform. It's a mathematical transform for color. It's a matrix. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can't intelligently um, know that this shot was exposed correctly, but this shot's over or this shot's under and, and fix that. It, it just, uh, you know, it, it just changes the values of the input, uh, the input color values to given output color values, regardless of what the input values are. From my understanding, um, a lot is just like a code. Uh, and then when you, you click it yeah. and it goes to a certain table and says, okay, you want this code, it takes it the code coincides with a color and drops the color on your video in a way. It's you a, go. it's a lookup table. So it's yeah. like a matrix where you, you look up an input and you, you add or subtract something to it and it makes an output, but whatever you add or subtract stays the same. It's constant. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so color correction is, is, is usually a manual process that you do first. Um, where you're actually correcting issues and some of the issues might be your issues that you've yeah. introduced into the image while you've been shooting normally <laughs> um, sometimes the, especially with phones with with phones that, that are getting more kind of computational with with a lot of AI in them like the the latest generation phones some of the issues are, are introduced by the phone itself that you have no control over um, so there, there are issues that come about through, you know, changing lighting conditions, changing, you know, shifts in the color of the light while you've been shooting, um, settings that have drifted, you know, it can be all kinds of things. And so, you know, the process of color correction is a first initial pass where you are making sure white is white, black is black, um, you know, levels in terms of the brightness of different things are consistent throughout your sequence so it's it's about shot matching as well making sure that the same objects in your scene under the same lighting conditions appear the same throughout the shots in the edit in the in the sequence so the same objects under the same lighting conditions you know have this the same level of brightness and the same kind of hue and saturation um, and it's made infinitely easier, actually, uh, if you use, 
you know, a color chart. Like I use this kind of pocket chart, this X-Rite color checker um, uh, color chart. And, and I'll shoot, you know, that at the beginning of every shot, or maybe not at the beginning of every single shot, but at the beginning of every kind of setup, you know, so I'll yeah. shoot it anytime lighting changes significantly or some, sometimes I will shoot it literally at the beginning of every shot. But anyway, um, that having that chart, uh, a couple of frames or a second or two of that chart, um, actually lets you color correct, uh, pretty much perfectly and, and without even really thinking too much once you know the tools. I haven't used that up that I haven't used that option. I have a, uh, I actually got a color checker today. I haven't to play around it specifically, but I haven't used the option in DaVinci. I've seen it where you, where you literally can match well, the squares to it. And then, yeah, that doesn't work so well. Not with a phone. No, uh, no, not in my experience. Yeah. There is, there is kind of an automatic automated kind of uh, color match. Um, but, because of the way phones um, kind of shift uh, levels and things like that, again, it comes into the kind of automatic uh, AI-driven computational yeah. kind of image processing that the phones are doing now, um, especially in low light, but it happens all the time. Um, you, you get the, this dynamic tone mapping where the phone itself is shifting the levels of shadows and midtones and things the way it thinks that, that it should uh, assign them and record them. Um, and that creates problems. So that the automated kind of um, chart, you know, matching tools like in Resolve, they rely, unfortunately, on having a fixed known um, input levels. So if your input levels are changing all the time, like they are when you're recording with a phone, that tool doesn't work anymore. Um, but doing it manually is not that difficult, to be honest, once you learn it. Um, it's just a bit time consuming and, and you can get it dead perfect when you have a chart. And if you haven't shot a chart you, with a bit of experience, you can even get it, you know, pretty close by eye, um, especially using the scopes. Um, and that's another thing. That's another kind of tool that people are afraid of uh, to begin with um, is kind of a vector scope or an, 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 a waveform or an RGB parade scope. They don't, you know, obviously they people, there's not something people come across yeah, most it, of the time. It, it, sometimes you you look at things and you think that they are, uh, wh when they're ex they seem complicated, and then when they are explained to you, they're like, ah, oh, it's like not that complicated at all. It, um, and then the graph makes sense. Uh, which is it the is it the vector scope that has the color uh, in the, the sorry? It's it looks like a blur in the middle, and the further it stretches north, south, east, west, it stretches out. In, yeah. So the so there's two primary scopes that kind of I rely on a lot, and and one of those is the RGB parade, and the other one's the vector scope. So the RGB parade just splits out red, green, and blue channels. Um, so you'll see a separate kind of chart, I guess, or, or reading for red, green, and blue. And it just maps the intensity or, or the level of uh, red, green, and blue um, from the right side of the frame to the left side of the frame. So so it's difficult to kind of talk about this over a podcast because yeah, it's yeah, a very it's visual It's a difficult thing. thing to explain. Yeah, no, so um, it's... it's but the higher the reading is on the chart, in, on the vertical, the brighter the red is or the green is or the blue is. It's, it's split out those channels. Um, so on the vertical, you've got zero, which is black, um, to 100%, which is 100% of whatever that channel color is. 
um, and then it, it basically maps it from the, the the you know left side of the frame to the right side of the frame. So it takes a little. It's it, to begin with, it's a little bit like that scene in the Matrix where you know um, they're just looking at the the data, the coding, yeah, kind of the code <laughs> no, on the screen. That's a really but good way once of you it. get once you get used to it, you can start to see the people in it. No, so it's, it's a funny. little. Yeah, it's a bit like that. That's a good way because I what I, I did what first the first reason I used DaVinci uh, I just downloaded it right and I dived right in as I'm normally used to do and I realize now this is a mistake I dived right in I was like I'll just figure it out I'll watch some YouTube videos and whatever and um I realized then very quickly afterwards that I was like no nope, I'm going to go back and I'm going to figure out what all these terms are first and the minute you understand what each thing does you're still not going to get it but you at least at least you understand that when you're because you can watch I I was watching YouTube tutorials and they were saying change this move that change this but i didn't really understand what i was doing i was merely mimicking what someone else was doing exactly um, and when you understand the changes you're making you mightn't get it but at least you understand oh if i move this up it's going to get darker there's going to be more red it's going to be less red and then you can yeah. start kind of figuring out what you want from it i had to uh, i had to edit a, a video for somebody and it was three separate cameras and it was footage that was given to me and just when you're saying it around about matching colors of things and scenes the woman in the video was wearing a purple jumper and I spent ages trying two of them I could get to match, but the third one I couldn't and my heart was broken because it was too, the purple was too, um, it was too dark or it was too light and I, and I was playing around and I just couldn't get the three um, colors to match across all three clips. And then my assumption was either I couldn't do it or they hadn't, um, you know the 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 obviously there were three different cameras and maybe the the exposure and the white balance was set was was wasn't set equally or correctly as much as possible. But it was this third shot I just couldn't get the colors to match no matter how hard I tried, which was heartbreaking. Yeah, well, this is the thing, especially if you're matching cameras. That's where a chart uh, having a reference chart um, on set that that maybe had been used to shoot with all three cameras, for instance, just a couple seconds of the chart, all three cameras. Um, with the chart lit properly by the the same the main light source in the scene uh, it would have been much easier because usually when you're matching um, you don't have to worry too much about individual kind of um, uh, hues or colors as long as as long as you kind of get white uh, yeah. correct and black correct and and kind of your middle gray um, in theory, the rest of the color palette should start to match up. You might need to make a few um, other differences, and that's that's where, uh, especially on the the color chart, you've got your red, green, blue, uh, cyan, magenta, yellow, which are your primary and secondary kind of color chips. And and what you'll what you'll find on the vector scope, like in Resolve, one of the scopes is is that arranged around the the, the circle on on the vector scope, you have these boxes um, for red, green, blue, yellow, cyan, magenta, and and um, you can make hue versus hue and hue versus saturation adjustments to line up um, the the colors on the chart exactly where they should be on the vector scope and if you do that with all three cameras they should all match perfectly <laughs> yeah see this is the thing it was it was i was given two hard drives full of footage uh, and i never i was nowhere near involved with who was making or anything like that so i was just given footage and three separate cameras and i had to put them together and yeah that's and, tough and, and that was fine but i couldn't like they were they were uh i i, I 
I, they were all shot in log, I think. So they were, from what I remember, they were. It was a grayscale through it. So, so it was okay. It was just the third camera um, was just heartbreaking. And I, I, and again, it was down to two things. It was down to my lack of of of, of experience using the tools. Um, and and then when I did, for the most part, figure it out, I, I couldn't get them to match. And after a while, yeah. I thought I was going crazy. But I just it was always slightly off. Now, to be honest with you, when I played it back to somebody, they didn't really notice. But I could <laughs> I could thing. see it because you yeah, can see it. Yeah. There's a if you especially if you're cutting from clip to clip to clip, you notice it. Not necessarily. It's like a. It's just you just notice your eye picks it up. It's like a change yeah. in in brightness or a change in in the color is slightly different, and you just yeah. kind of subconsciously pick it up. And it just drove me insane. Um, and uh, so so that was the reason I went out then and ordered a color checker because I was like, if I want to use this correctly, I need to have oh, that tool. Oh, it makes such a difference. Yeah. It, it really, like I've got a couple of um, tutorials uh, up on my YouTube channel that are just about color correcting using the chart. And I really wanted to make it kind of paint by numbers easy, you know. Um, yeah. and, and if you've shot the chart correctly and it's lit correctly and, and you've exposed correctly, um, you know, it can be pretty easy once you kind of uh, learn how to do it. Um, and it, it's it's really comes down to you know uh, your your white uh, chip on the chart, your middle gray chip on the chart, and your black chip on the chart, and then the six colors: the red, green, blue, cyan, uh, yellow, magenta. Those those nine chips, I guess. Um, you know, are, are the critical ones. So you, you kind of do it in, in two halves. Um, so you line up, you, you, you forget about color to begin with and you just line up, you, you balance and you line up white, black and middle gray. Mm -hmm. Um, and then separately, then I, I start to look at hue and saturation. I look at the color chips. Um, and yeah, as long as you get those lined up consistently, even if it's two or three different cameras, um, everything should pretty much match up. And yeah, then yeah. when you do go to use a lot or create a creative look um, on top of that, it will be a lot more consistent. It should flow. It should look a lot more correct. Yeah, I have to do, that's what I was thinking. I, I have to, the, the same videos I was editing, I am going to be working with the same crew, but they'll be filming me in a couple of weeks time. So cool. I, I'm going to bring the color checker along. Um, because I, I'll probably inevitably end up edit, editing their footage, so I, I want to just be like, "Hey, I, I have this lying around. Why don't why don't why don't we use this to make yeah, it mean, easier the, later on?" The easiest way to use it is is really it's different for for different cameras and it's different for different gamma profiles and different cameras as well. But um, for the most part, um, when when you're holding up the chart, somebody's holding up the chart under your uh, lit by your brightest, your main, your key light source. So if it's outside, that's probably the sun. Um, if it's inside, it's whatever your key, your main light is. It needs to light the chart evenly uh, and, and you expose so that the white chip on the chart is at about 90% um, kind of roughly brightness level. Um, if you've got a waveform on the camera, uh, that can help. Um, and yeah, as long as your white chip on the chart is at around 90%, um, then, and as long as your white balanced correctly, you're, you're away. Um, then your color correction step should be pretty straightforward. So 
invest in a color checker. <laughs> but then again, uh, you, were... you know what? It's it's a bit. Of, it's not really a cheat, but it's a bit of a cheat. It, it makes things a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, I'm, but but I suppose you were saying there that not necessarily when it comes to to mobile phones, though. So so you mentioned earlier on about kind of about kind of really getting rolling up your sleeves and diving in on the phone front in terms of the kind of advances that they're making. What's the kind yeah. of attraction there in term in terms of those advances? What's the kind of attraction? Is it just to push the limits of, of what the devices can do? I think when I first um, picked up my, my iPhone SE, my original, I'm not talking about the new iPhone SE now, the, the original iPhone SE, that was the first phone that I started shooting video with. Um, and that, that phone that was basically the camera um, and processing out of the 6S. So that was before any of the really sophisticated kind of um, tone mapping and AI that's in the, the latest generation devices. Um, but, and I think the thing that fascinated me was just that I, I saw the potential um, for an image to record an image, especially with Filmic Pro. Um, that had just enough image information in it um, to be able to do something really nice with. Um, and that's, I, it was more out of curiosity. I, I was kind of asking the question, well, if I use Filmic Pro to give me full manual control so I can lock ISO, I can lock down shutter speed. I can, you know, I can lock everything so it's not dynamically changing all over the place. Um, and if I can shoot, approaching it the same way I would approach a, a proper cinema camera, um, what can I get out of it in post? How far can I push this? You know, and and it was that it was answering that question. That that's kind of what started me down this route. Um, and it's only gotten you know, uh, more interesting, the more sophisticated the camera processing has, has become. It's gotten infuriating, actually. Well. <laughs> why, is, why is it infuriating? Um, Just oh because there's, God, too like, much, there's too much automation? or The thing is, the, the, a, a, a professional kind of approach to color um, really relies on, on consistency and... and, and reducing the number of variables as much as possible when you shoot. So anything that affects um, white balance or uh, the actual kind of levels of where, you know, shadow detail, mid-tone detail and highlight detail is being recorded, you want to minimize as much of those variables as possible. That's the whole thing behind... Um, deliberately setting things manually and locking it down. Um, so when you've, got a, when you've got a device that starts doing what it wants to do, <laughs> even when you're trying to lock it down, um, it's introducing all kinds of little variables into your image that you know are going to add hours and hours okay. to trying to correct them out. <laughs> post, but like, you know? Why do you think, I mean... Obviously, they're not making phones specifically for people who are. Who this are is the thing. They, like that, they, they are. They are. I understand what they're doing. They're making a device that will effectively automatically color correct um, the for the vast majority of situations um, for a, a, you know an average consumer 
Um, so they don't have to know any of this. That's the whole point. Um, yeah, so well, I suppose. But then the average consumer probably wouldn't really, I suppose it's built in. They're not going to really appreciate what it's doing. Oh, uh, I think they do. I, I think they, I think they appreciate the difference in, in the image that they're getting um, out of the device from a brand new iPhone um, 11 compared to uh, a 10 or uh, you know earlier devices I think I mean that's that's how they're selling phones these days is, is on the camera system and a lot of the camera system has become post it's become automated post really it's become automated um, post uh, color correction you know so a lot of the things that I've been talking about doing manually um, they've been engineering the phone to do um, by itself based on, you know, machine learning. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I'm one of a small niche, tiny, tiny niche of people that wants to do it all manually. Yeah. You know, well, they're not making phones for me. They're making phones for everybody else. So, yeah, it can get infuriating. It's better now. The one that infuriated me really that I really struggled with was the um, 10s, the 10s Max. Why the was that? Max was did they bad. scale some stuff back for, for? They did. Yeah, they, the 11, um, the t dynamic tone mapping in the 11 series, the 11 generation is it's still there, but it's a lot more kind of under control and it's a lot more subtle. Um, than it was in the, the 10s max so when i got the 10s max and I, I got hold of the phone even before it was a little bit before it was launched and um it was just immediately clear to me that i'm gonna be fighting against this phone for a whole year yeah, yeah, yeah. i was fighting it for the whole year yeah you take your calendar um, and you add extra dates to all, all the stuff you're doing because you know you're gonna have to spend more yeah time i was like i know what the engineers are doing like i see it i get it but it's the stuff I want to do, it's going to make it really hard. And it did. But the 11's amazing. The 11, um, uh, I still fight a little bit against some of that stuff. But generally, it's it's brilliant. The 11's really good. Uh, How do you find, like, uh, like log on Filmic Pro and things like that? I know I've watched some of your tutorials and things like that. But in terms of an advance forward? Um, well, the thing is, it's... It, you'll you'll get a you'll you'll see a lot of people saying that it's not real log and i mean it isn't i guess technically uh because implementing a real actual log gamma encoding is not possible um they don't apple has not they don't they don't let app developers um mess with any of that stuff yeah. so so instead what what um what filmic did um, is implement uh, a very clever system that takes the uncompressed um, image information from the frame buffer, which uh, Apple do let third-party kind of app developers have access to, um, and uh, kind of interpolate um, and calculate based on vectors uh, kind of a virtualized gamma curve, I guess, if you want want to say it that. So yeah, so it comes out as a the the values that come out are you know a kind of log image values, but they they are interpolated. They're not actually kind of 
they weren't actually originally um, encoded that way. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a be- it's a, again, it's sort of a best guess of what it would look like. It's a best guess and it's really good. It's a good guess. That's what I've found. Um, yeah. So you'll get some people, you know, arguing that it's not real and, and that it's just some kind of a contrast, simple contrast um, adjustment. And it isn't at all. It's way more sophisticated than that. So um, it is real and it isn't real. Um, what you're getting out, the values that you're getting out into the file are very real. Um, and through all the color correction and grading that I've done, I can get um, at least a stop, um, if not approaching two stops, extra dynamic range um, shooting log V2, and and there's no argument about that. It's there. Um, So I like shooting uh, filmic log V2. Um, It lets me get uh, a a level of, of kind of tonality in the image that I really like, um, it looks like what I want it to look like in the end. It, it, and, and a lot of the work that I'm doing is kind of emulating film in a way. Yeah. Um, and I'm really getting those rich kind of tones and, and, and colors with the workflow that I've developed um, that I kind of had a suspicion was, was possible somehow. And that's been four years of working on it. Um, so yeah, it's it's continuously exciting because I feel like I'm starting to see an image that I knew was hiding in there somewhere. Yeah, you, you saw scratches um, of it at the start, and now yeah, it's exactly. Of, and yeah. and so it's been a combination of like some of the techniques and kind of workflow within Resolve has been developing for the last four years um, that I've been working on. But at the same time, the devices have been changing for for those four years as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think it's really interesting. And I, I, I I think the devices we all hold in our hands that are in our pockets all day, uh, are amazing things. And, and if you know a little bit, you, you, you can get some really nice looking stuff out of the cameras. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a wealth of stuff. You see people like your stuff as well. And and you see people who are are producing these incredible images and you're, you're, I'm looking at them going, Oh God, what the hell are they doing that? And then. Oftentimes, I, I don't, particularly some of the, the the night stuff that some people get is incredible. Oh yeah. Um, I saw your video before there about kind of uh, um about how to how to record stuff at night, uh, and and um, but it, I just think people get incredible uh when they know how to utilize it correctly, they get incredible results. But then I I, I you have a lot of people who sometimes view a lot of things as shortcuts. So like like. I know a lot of people who'd be like, oh, sweet, Filmic Pro does log. I'll just tap log and record in log and, you know, I'll add a lot on afterwards and it'll look great. But, you know, I assume, again, like with anything, you've got to put the work in there and when you're recording. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're, you're, you're exposing correctly and things like but that. Filmic have, have supplied um, a couple of technical LUTs, uh, a D-log um, yeah. LUT um, that, that, kind of translates that filmic log v2 into what we call a kind of a standard video uh rec 709 which is kind of the hdtv standard dynamic range color space video standard like all all of the any any video you see generally made online should be kind of aiming for that rec 709 um color space most like all the work that i do is anyway so this is a technical lot that, that filmic supply which which translates or transforms log v2 into 
roughly Rec 709 color space. Um, so you can use that technical LUT, um, and then you can even use a creative LUT on top of that. But again, you haven't you haven't corrected anything, so you haven't shot matched anything. So it's the same problem. Yeah, um, you're still trying to yeah you, you've you've got a sequence of of shots in your edit that aren't balanced together um and and unfortunately as of yet there's no real automated way to do that you, you need your eyeballs and your brain uh and yeah and to, to some sit. of the tools in front of you to be able to do it um it should somehow be automatable in a way if that's the right way of saying it and yeah. i think I think we'll start seeing some of those tools a bit more, some, some uh, machine learning coming into some of these professional, um, you know, color grading applications. And I mean, some of these manual processes should, in theory, be, be, be able to be mimicked by a machine. Um, but they're not quite there yet. So it's, it takes looking and looking at the scopes and looking at the image and realizing this shot has a bit of a yellow cast compared yeah. to this shot, but they need to look the same. So in, if this one's feeling a bit more yellow, I'm going to have to decrease yellow, increase the blue a little bit more, you know, at the moment, that's a mental process. It's not a lot process or some kind of automated process. Even if you're shooting a chart where you have a lot more, um, you're able to see what's going on. It's not just, oh, this image has a bit of a yellow cast. It's I can see the color chips and I can see what all of them are doing. Um, that gives you, if you're armed with a bit of knowledge, it gives you the information to know what to do to correct that shot and match that shot. No, because, yeah, look, um, I suppose knowledge is, knowledge is key in all these things. Like, it's funny, even as I mentioned before this call, I'm, I'm, I'm embarking on, on teaching myself Blender um, and it's much like that Friends episode where Joey's not allowed to hold a guitar for the first three weeks. I refuse I refuse to do them to make the same mistake I made with Da Vinci. So I've gone back to what this is, what learning all the terminology, figuring out what everything means before I do anything because um, I don't want to spend time trying to figure out, make mistakes and then try and figure out what the mistakes were that I made. I figure if I understand the foundation, then I can fire ahead. What's yeah. the most, in terms of like, um in terms of like stuff that's what would you like to see on your on on the next model phone that you think would be a benefit to you oh i don't know i kind of try not to get too um i don't know too much into that i kind of try to just wait and see what apple are going to come up with i i i really hope that they give us um 10-bit color encoding yeah um that's what i really really want and um They've got some of the, I mean, I think from what I know of the hardware pipeline in the phone, a lot of what's required is already there. Um, it seems like it's more of a software thing, um, an iOS thing, um, because oh, okay. a lot of the image processing that's going on in the phone is already at a much higher um, bit depth than what's recorded into the files right now. So I think that's the biggest thing. I, I'm not really necessarily hoping for some crazy optical zoom or, or even necessarily much bigger sensors or anything like that. Like if if they could just give me ten bit like files, yeah, I'd, <laughs> that's that would be amazing. If everything else was the same, 
um, you know, I'd love that because even if they didn't give us real log encoding, just having 10 bit data, um, what the filmic guys, for instance, would be able to do in terms of implementing even the same kind of computational system that's generating filmic log V2, what they'd be able to do with that extra bit depth is, is already amazing. So yeah, I guess that would be the thing. I, I'm hoping that they give us proper 10 bit um, color encoding. Well, the great thing is that once a year or once every year and a half, you get a new device full of surprises to challenge you. Um, you start the process all over again. Uh, so it must be nice to, to, it must keep you on your toes. But um, no, thanks for that. I, I'll leave it there on that note of positivity looking forward. And I'll let you get back to what I'm sure is a, a, hopefully the end of a busy day for you, but if not a, a busy afternoon. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us and just giving people an idea because, as I said, I um, I rolled up my sleeves there a while ago and said, I'm going to try and figure all this out. And then uh, within uh, a couple of weeks, I was like, I'm going to contact Richard because he could probably help explain it to me because <laughs> I've already wasted so much time trying to figure this out. But um, I just, I, I kind of wanted to uh, touch on one or two things there because I thought, I, I think colouring is, a, is, a, is an art in and of itself. And I just got the impression that that maybe people were like, yeah, I'll just throw colouring and away you go. And, and I don't, I, I think if you understand it, uh, you can do far more impressive yeah. things. I think, um, when it, I think when it comes down to it, um, there, there are always going to be, um, you know, people who, who want to work that way for legitimate reasons and, and, you know, don't want to learn a whole nother skill set, yeah. which is actually some people's enti entire Sorry. career. Like that's, it's it's not just like I'm going to learn to do something extra. It, it's a whole. It's a whole subject. undertaking. Like yeah. it's a whole <laughs> profession in and of itself. So there's going to be a difference in the image that you see between putting a lot on um, what you've shot on your phone compared to the work from a professional colorist. Yeah. But but there's also a big gap in in you know, understanding of the fundamentals of, of color science and, and, and of digital video and of the tools themselves. So I don't think anybody should be too hard on themselves because they can't immediately pick up something which, you know, is a whole nother profession for some people, you know? Yeah, um, I, I suppose we're, 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 what, what I, well, I suppose what I mean by that and a little bit what I see is that I, 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 I see... <sighs> Case in point, I knew people who 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 shot a movie, right, and 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 two thirds of their budget went to coloring it, um, yeah. uh, which which might would probably make sense, but I don't think they put as much. I think the consensus they had was if we spend a lot of money on coloring it, it'll look great, and if it looked great, then that's our mission and our job done. You know and, what's actually more important than it looking great? Yeah, uh, is actually it sounding great. Yes, yeah, um, I agree. My gut feel is I would have put two thirds of the budget into the sound, yeah, mix, I, into the I sound would, design. Yeah, I would sound. Um, I would say it has to sound good, and 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 if you can if you can do some awesome stuff with even practical lighting, um, absolutely. And, of, yeah. and of course, if it has a really good script, then that's half the battle. If it sounds well, if it sounds great and it's a good story, then you're you're something. Yeah, I, I mean, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I always tell a story in the classes about somebody told me, I heard once that they, somebody had done a, a critic screening once for a, a movie and it was for a 3D movie and the panels were off on the projector. It's not the panels, uh -huh. I mean the 3D was off so that you could see yeah. the colours. 
and for the first 20 minutes or something nobody fixed it and then they fixed it and then when all the critics came out they wrote the review about how they thought the first 20 minutes was quite powerful because it reflected the character's um oh, uh, fantasy type journey and then eventually the the colors aligned and it became the real world um but I mean, they, they, I suppose the point of that story is the audio sounded great and I'm sure the story was great. So they just took the visuals to be part yeah. of the story. Um, well, I mean, I think one thing that we didn't even touch on that I'll mention really quickly before we go. Um, you mentioned at the beginning, like kind of this quote unquote cinematic look. And, yes. And color has, color in terms of finishing, in terms of post-production, definitely has a role to play in that. Um, but I think it's also hugely down to lighting. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, most of us shooting with our phones um, are quite limited in what we can do in terms of lighting. You know, we're, we're not uh, commanding, you know, a crew of, yeah. of people and, and a truck's worth of lighting equipment and generator and whatnot. Like, that's not our world, you know. So we're working with, available light mostly whether that's inside or outside and and maybe we have a couple of lights uh, odd led lights or something we can try to augment or or create some effects or something but i think lighting is a is a crucial thing and and also um uh production design is a huge thing yeah um kind of deciding what your actors are going to wear and how that's going to tie into the location and colors that are in the location and and what is the vibe of the whole thing? And that happens conceptually hand in hand with the story. And, and when is it set and where is it set? And all of these things, including lighting on set happen before you even get into post. Also so, the, 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 psycho, um, the psychology of the color that you use, you know, when you do go to grade your thing at the end, uh, sometimes people will put thought into the psychology of, of, of what, how that color plays on the audience when they're looking at it. Do you know what I mean by that is if it's a thriller, maybe it's yeah, cold, a cold blue. If it's a romantic comedy, it's a nice warm image. And, and that's something that is often I, I, uh, thought of in advance as well. It's not something you generally stumble no. upon in, in the edit. That's, and go, that's not something you can really, you can really create from nothing in post. Yeah. Um, what what you're doing with color in post production is really augmenting and and bringing out and polishing the 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 look that has been um, created while while it was shot. You know, so so color in terms of cinematic really needs to start from the very beginning. It's not something that can just be created at the end with a lot or a, a, a cinematic grade. Um, it, it's really something that needs to be thought through from from the planning stages and and tie in with the story. Um, yeah, so I think with with color grading, you're work you're working to bring out and and augment enhance, what's already yeah. enhance what's, what's already, already in in the footage, and what's in the footage needs to have been deliberately intentionally. Um, created as part of the whole creating process and and I mean this applies to you know this applies to narrative films and things like that where you're controlling everything it's not quite the same for documentary work yeah, if you're, it's definitely not the same for you know news work or things like that yeah, you've got no control over anything yeah it's any, anything that anything that requires you to sit down and plan and execute yeah, over yeah. a period of time should exactly. include all these things if it's um, a short film or a feature film or something like that that's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. No, it's it's just funny because I watched a video the other day where they took a scene of a, a girl at a merry-go-round, and they played it over and over and over again with various different color schemes, 
and um, the, the the minute you put a different color on it, that changes the entire tone and the vibe. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it, they were, it was quite nice music, but they put a cold blue over it, and suddenly that nice music made it seem sort of creepy. Uh, it's just, it's just funny the way you, 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 color can 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 manipulate and change your emotions of what you're looking at, even if the content oh, doesn't change. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was just, it was just thought it was very, very interesting. But um, that's brilliant. Anyway, I'll let you get back to your life. But thanks so much for that. Um, I thought that was really interesting. So thanks so much uh, for chatting to me. Yeah, I, I hope it made some sense, especially to to people who are listening. And if it didn't, you're welcome to come and harass me on Twitter or <laughs> or wherever you can find me. I will answer questions. I always do, and I, and I try to explain things in a way that's easy to understand. So, so well, I'll, any, I'll attach links. Yeah, anybody's free to hit me up anywhere. I'll put I'll put the links and and I'll also send out links to a couple of your videos and stuff as well to get people started. But uh, thanks so much for that. Cool, no, my pleasure.